Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. This episode is sponsored by Great Plains Nursery, a family-owned nursery located near Weston, Nebraska. Great Plains has a passion for growing and planting native trees and shrubs and sharing the importance of native plants for the ecosystem. Visit greatplainsnursery.com to learn more and plant your tree for Arbor Day. Welcome back to episode six of Bloombox Growing Deeper. We are here today with Justin from the Nebraska Forest Service to talk about planting for birds in your yard. Justin, do you want to tell us a little bit yeah, about yourself and how right. you got interested in birds? Okay, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I love birds and landscaping, so I think this is a good topic to share these two things together. I work for the Nebraska Forest Service, but also with the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. And I've been doing that for a lot of years, since 1990. And I've come to really appreciate the birds in the landscape uh, as I go along here. So thanks for pulling this topic out. Why do we plant for birds? Yeah, for me personally, I love watching birds in the yard, especially in the winter. Um, there's not as much to do in the winter outside, so that's a way to be kind of relational to the outdoor world in the winter. I love what birds do, just their actions, their forms, their shapes, their colors. And then the second thing I think probably more importantly is if you have birds, you are doing right by the landscape in terms of ecology because birds are so critical to helping us keep a balance of especially predatory insects or problematic insects at bay. And they recycle so much of the stuff in our backyard, you don't think about it, but they're always poking through the detritus. And if we didn't have birds doing that, it, things would build up quicker. So those are the two, two big things for me. So when we plant for birds, I like that you point out that it's, it's the whole ecological concept. Yeah. So we're doing more than just providing food for birds, right? And then food in general for other things when you look at the full food cycle. Uh, so what are some of the other things that we provide to birds when we plant for them? Yeah, right. So think about your yard. If you like birds and ecological balance, provide habitat. And what's the habitat for birds? Food is one element of that, and you can provide food for them. But if you have a richly diverse landscape, you're going to be providing food just naturally by the plants you have, so that's important. The other thing is cover. All, every bird wants some form of color, cover. Now, it varies from bird to bird. Some like to be in the pine tree, really protected. Others are kind of out in the open, but want to kind of duck back in under the grass. So diversity, again, is critical. And then the third thing there is water. If you have some open water around, you're going to get more bird action. And uh, in the middle of winter, boy, that open water is critical for bird survival. So it sounds like you're saying we can kind of use birds as an indicator that we have a diverse landscape because yeah. you can kind of judge if you see a lot of birds, we're doing good. If you're really trying to look and hunt for the birds, maybe we have work to do. Yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it. We do have work to do. So if you just count, some birds are real generalists and kind of annoying, <laughs> like a house sparrow or a starling. You're going to get those whether you want to or not, but those aren't necessarily the bird you're keeping track of in your life list or something. 
So if you start keeping track of birds, you want to get a rich diversity of species to know that you're doing it right. It doesn't have to be a hundred species, but probably if you're only seeing three or four, up your game a little bit and try to get it to a dozen or 20. And actually, that's not hard. If you have a little food and water, I quit counting. I got up to 40 or 50 species in my yard, and I, I'm no birder. So I think that kind of takes us to our next thing we want to talk about, which is how do we attract a wide swath of birds? So it sounds like it might be kind of easy at first, but, yeah. but what are some general things we can do to attract birds to our gardens? Yeah, right. Well, for our line of work, A number one thing is if you can get into gardening and put out a a diversity of plants, landscape plants. And generally speaking, plants kind of come in woody form and herbaceous form. And so you should have trees and shrubs to give you a couple layers of habitat that the birds get up into and come down from. But you should also have herbaceous plants that you would leave up in the winter that also carry not only cover but food. Some of our best bird-friendly plants are native prairie plants. Anything in the aster family, asters and coneflowers, if you leave them up over the winter, it's fun. You'll, you'll see the finches and things getting the bird, the seed right off the plants. So those are the two big things, you know, habitat, rich, richly diverse habitat as much as you can stand, more native plants than not, uh, and then feed you got in the winter if you want birds in your yard to watch you're going to have to provide some feed so uh doesn't have to be a lot of feed but and the birders will tell you the more types of bird feeders you have the more diversity in feeders the better it's just i think what's your budget because if you have 10 feeders are you going to spend a thousand dollars on bird seed my wife would kill me so i only have three or four uh feeders but you know to each his own on that and then different types of feeders. One of my f- favorite feeders, and I was a long time coming to this, is the suet feeder. I just pin it on the side of my ash tree, and I can see right out my kitchen window. And I just love the diversity of birds that come to that. And so that's a different type of bird than you're getting over here with the bird seed. Um, so I would say those two things get a good bird seed feeder, and then also a suet feeder going, and you'll get pretty good diversity. Okay, so I'm thinking the suet feeder is that block of sticky stuff. Yes. Can you des- can you describe that a little bit more? Yes. Yeah, the real birders make their own suet, and they'll use beef tallow or uh, fat of some kind and then blend in bird seeds to it. You can also create it just with peanut butter as your base and then blend bird seeds into it. I buy it because I'm lazy, and uh, there's, you know, in our our modern day, you can get any kind of suet you want out there, even at the hardware store, so that's how I do it. But it's got fat in it, and certain species of birds, especially the woodpeckers, want that in the winter, that fat store. I have made my own suet before. I just used unflavored gelatin, like the just not oh, yeah. unflavored gelatin in it. And then I gave it out as Christmas gifts. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it was fun. You formed it into a... I used cookie cutters. So yeah. I would just form it. Actually, it was a Christmas gift. So I made like stars and Christmas trees and things like that. And yeah. It was fun. I put twine around it so people could hang yeah. it without an actual suet feeder. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Someday. You'll have to give me your recipe. We'll put that in the show notes, the recipe. (laughs) 
I was really surprised when I learned that birds, even just like your little songbirds, need some fat yeah. and stuff in the winter. I mean, we all know like birds of prey. I have a funny story about learning that lesson. I went to check traps with my husband and my father-in-law. And I'm just usually along for the ride. I don't do a lot of the work in that. But I got so excited uh, to see all these little chickadees because, you know, in western Nebraska, it's yeah. pretty cold. And uh, I, I just thought that looked like such a happy little scene. And, and then they're like, well, go look closer. Go see what they're eating. They were picking apart a coyote carcass. Oh, gosh, and I was like, yes. oh, these tiny yes. little fluffy tweeties <laughs> yeah. are just ripping up this carcass. <laughs> Oh, I didn't realize that. So black-capped chickadee, I'll yeah. uh, get in. They're a carnivore, they, huh? All in right. the winter, and uh, they're they're not after the meat. They're after the fat to keep themselves warm. Yeah. Because it was a really cold day. I mean, it was probably zero yes. degrees. They had fun laughing at me for that, though, because yeah. I, was, I was cooing over these tiny little cute Tweety birds. and. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me a little bit of home in Kimball County, where I'm from. We learned about the shrike, the loggerhead shrike. They impale snakes and other and rodents on a barbed wire fence or a sticker or something and then peck at it and when you're young and you see that going on you're kind of made aware of how the world works all of a sudden i just gotta say don't we all enjoy uh food with a little higher fat content in the winter <laughs> yeah <laughs> right on you surprised me when you talked about coneflowers and asters. I, I have coneflowers in my yard, and I love to see the little, it's usually like little finch birds on them, yes, right? Yes, the old finch, typically. So I think that's going to be a different idea. A lot of people are used to hearing plant berries and evergreens and shrubs for their birds, but our prairie plants are important, too. Oh, they really are. So many of them hold their seeds into and through the winter. If you have a diversity of purple coneflower, Rebecca, uh Asters even. Aster seeds are a little smaller, but uh, boy, those finches will get all over that. I approach it in my yard. I really like the juncos. They're a ground feeder, more or less. So I just put everything on the ground for the juncos, and it's cheap bird seed like cracked corn and millet. And then for the more expensive feed, that's more for cardinals or the, uh, the birds I like to attract more. I put that in the feeder. And then I have the suet feeder I mentioned to you. And then the one other feeder I have is the thistle feeder. And that will get the goldfinches really hard, a couple other species too. But the goldfinches are the ones that will pick your asters clean and your other things in the Asteraceae family, like we have cup plant or compass plant. If you leave those heads up into the winter, that's good for the birds. And I think the sunflower seeds, you know, that's what... All birders say is the base of your feed, sunflower seeds. They're really rich with fat stores and oils for winter survival. Can you describe the thistle feeder? What is that? Yeah, my thistle feeder is just a, a clear plastic tube with four little perches mm -hmm. and little tiny holes in it that finches can pull the seed out of. But they have sock feeders. You can just put it in a sock that uh, birds can pull the seed out of. And then they have these wire mesh feeders where the thistle seed stays inside of it, but the bird can kind of pull it out. I like my little plastic one because it doesn't lose as much seed. Can we have a picture of it for the show notes? Yeah, you bet. I'll send you some pictures. Okay, so while we're talking all these feeders, we got to ask the question... How do you keep the squirrels out of them? Yeah, I'll send you a picture of what I do. 
and I've seen some things that really crazy bird feeders do. So there's squirrels that our bird lovers call them tree rats. But I like to remember, I love trees, and we wouldn't have oak trees or nut trees without squirrels. So I try to accommodate both. But yeah, it's hard to like a squirrel when they'll eat 600 pounds of bird seed in a day, it feels like. So I saw online a system where there's this metal baffle. So I put my feeders on a pole that's up about eight feet off the ground. Then this cone-shaped baffle is down below at about three feet, wrapping around that pole. And that prevents the squirrel from jumping up onto the pole. But I also have a slinky between that baffle and the where the bird seed hangs down. And the squirrels don't like to be bouncing up and down on that slinky. So that's worked really good for me. The trick is you can't have anything from above that they can jump up or jump down from. So if you have a tree above that, less than a 10-foot fall, they'll get on your bird feeder. So my grandpa Bob was a big bird feeder. He loved feeding the birds and he hated the squirrels. Yes. And when he he passed when I was a kid, and when he passed, we found all of his prototypes of different mm. bird feeders he was trying to create <clears throat> that would keep the the squirrels out. So we found all these different with springs and yes. everything as we were trying to clean out his workspace. It was fun. I'd it love was fun to, to see, see what people come up with. They have these high-end bird feeder uh, boxes with springs on them and stuff. I've heard people give mixed reports on those. I've never invested in them. But you, yeah, if you feed birds and you don't do something about the squirrels, you're going to be disappointed with how much the squirrels eat. Does feeding the squirrels separately help, or does it attract them? The one thing I like about the squirrels is that they clean up the junk that the <laughs> those darn finches, uh, house finches, love to peck through the seed, and so they're dumping seeds all over the ground, and it helps to have the squirrels out there to clean that up and not making a mess, as big a mess underneath the feeder. But uh, that's about the one thing of positivity I can give about squirrels and bird seed. I saw one squirrel got a hold of my uh, suet feeder one day and drug it to the other side of the yard. So I was not a fan of that. That happened to me as well, except he drug it behind my car and I accidentally backed over it because I didn't realize it was there. So now I have a new suet feeder. <laughs> new style flap. I will say my one thing I do enjoy about squirrels is we have a crab apple tree. And that's where a lot of our birds in our yard come from. They all come to eat the old crab apples. Yes. But then about late winter, early spring, there's just a few real fermented berries left, and the squirrels get into those, and oh. it can be pretty entertaining. Oh, wow. I've heard about this. Yeah, fermented fruit. Yeah, get, yeah, there you go. I actually like to watch squirrels in my backyard. They're so entertaining, the things they can do. So don't tell my other birder friends that I don't mind watching squirrels. <laughs> Okay, so how about it, somebody who is trying to, you know, get some specific species on their bird watching list or just has a favorite? Is there anything we can do to, to say, I really like this species of bird. Can I really attract them? Yeah, you just mentioned one. So crab apples, that's a really great, especially for getting the spring and fall migrants, uh, like the cedar waxwing. They, they congregate on... Um, old winter fruit so a crab apple tree that holds on to its fruits or a hackberry tree or believe it or not a cedar tree uh, with berries high up in it the little cones of a cedar tree 
that's where you're going to find wax wings early in the spring. They'll be coming through here in a month or two, so uh, that's for sure. Um, beyond that, you know, some birds are just much more attracted to berries than the seeds. And uh, I'm thinking things like even cardinals or um, finches. So if you have anything with berries on it, I think one of our shrubs we don't think about enough because people don't like the looks of it is our native coral berry, snowberry for western Nebraska. They call that buckbrush because it's not a very glamorous plant, but it holds its fruits all winter. They're beautiful fruits, reds and purples to white. And so they're not very palatable in the fall, but late winter, early spring, the birds get after them. So you got to remember that we're probably heading evolutionarily, we're heading into the time of year right now where it was hardest to get food because it's late winter, a lot of stuff's been picked over. So try to get plants that hang on to those fruits late winter. Viburnums are good at that. Um, uh, you mentioned crab apples and then juniper cedar. Yeah, some of those same things that people kind of poo-poo as landscape plants because they don't like the look of those old berries hanging on. But they're not just for us, right? That's right. I also, it's it's hard to remember sometimes because we think about feeding birds in the dead of winter. A lot of us put out stuff for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, that late late winter, early spring... A lot of that winter food is gone. The humans have stopped putting out their bird feeders because it got warm. Yeah. But our plants aren't up yet. Aren't up yet. And they're not producing seed yet for another month or two. Yeah, I get really good bird activity through at least mid to late April. Then I can see them tailing off. I usually quit feeding by mid to late spring and let's let the birds go out and (laughs) forage for the insects and stuff. In the spring and summer, they're mostly eating insects, so... uh, Make them do that. Don't keep them fat and lazy at your feeder. Unless you want to, I mean, you can do what you want there, but uh, that's how I do it. So I know the one that I always hear people, I guess it's a little later in the spring, I think, that people are always trying to figure out how to get the Orioles. Oh. Do you have any tips on that? Yeah, for sure. Orioles are, that's one of my favorite things to feed for. And for me, I've got now enough resident Orioles coming back every year that I don't need to work at it too hard but when I first got started they really are attracted to the color orange so you can put oranges out and that helps and then jelly anything sweet with a jelly in it so I would just put grape jelly on oranges and stick them out on a nail on a platform feeder now I don't have to put the orange out as much but I do put the jelly out and I get Orioles every spring and summer. So how about hummingbirds that's one of my favorites and some people put them in a kind of a different class like you know i don't hear bird people talk about them but pollinator people aren't quite talking about them but i love hummingbirds yeah i do too hummingbirds are one of my frustrations because i work hard at it every fall i've tried a couple times in the spring i'm never ready to catch them in the spring when they're coming through so they're a migratory bird flying north and south and they don't stick around our part of the world for a super long time, although they are resident in eastern Nebraska woodlands year, uh, all summer long. So you need a nectar feeder for uh, hummingbirds. Uh, we just get the ruby-throated, I think, uh, is all we get here. And you want to use a nectar feeder with a sugary content. Uh, you can get that, buy it over the counter, or make your own. It's just one part sugar to four parts water. And it's just frustrating because... <laughs> Most years I put that out for a month, go through two gallons of nectar feeder, and I might see two 
hummingbirds. But last year, I really had really, really good activity on the hummingbirds. So I wonder what the difference was last year. Yeah, I wonder if there's kind of a, a population ebb and flow, yeah. you know, like we get with some trees. My mom is just a little bit further east in Iowa, and they get a heavy migration through there. She doesn't even have to try. She just puts out, she usually has petunias in her hanging pot. Yes. And they always have a hummingbird around right. them. Any deep tubular flower in a pot, it's red colored or orange colored. Right. I get a lot of, when the hummingbirds are around, they're after those. So, and you can put other native flowering plants out like uh, trumpet vine and stuff like that that will help get them. But yeah, I wish we, you go to the mountains and you get, they're buzzing around your head and you're like, man, I wish I could get those at my yard. And they're just, it's also fun though to go just like, I live in Waverly, but if I drive over to Platte River State Park, just 30 minutes away, all of a sudden there's all these other birds that I don't see in town. Carolina wren, warblers, uh, scarlet tanager. They just, for whatever reason, love that little bit of forest canopy and go see those birds there. So that's how we can attract specific birds. Is there a way to keep away specific birds that we don't want around? That's a really good question. And so for me, the one thing I do battle with is starling, the European starling. They come in flocks and you don't even know exactly when they're going to show up and ravage your bird feeders. I haven't found a really super good way to try and get rid of them. I actually started to try and trap them. They have starling traps that you can buy, and I figured out that was more work than it's worth. One thing I learned, though, is if I leave the suet feeder up with any peanut butter uh, content to it, the starlings just rip that apart. So I shift to just suet and uh, bird seed or tallow and bird seed in late spring, and that helps to keep some of the starlings away. And then what else would we have that uh, is real annoying? Like um, if you get pigeons and things like that, you might want to stop feeding for a certain stretch so they don't feel like they have to have your yard to uh, come back to. But I'm not an expert on how to get rid of those. Thankfully, starlings for me haven't been as big of a problem the last two years as they were about three or four years ago. I just about quit feeding birds because all I was doing was feeding starlings for a while. What, do you have any ideas or? No, that's why I asked. (laughs) (laughs) We need to get a good, really good bird expert on here and give us some advice. But they are annoying. Oh my God, those starlings. Mostly I ask because Um, So my husband and I moved to our house from a downtown apartment, and I always complained about the downtown noises, right? The sirens, the bars, all that. When we moved there, he was like, the birds are so loud all the time. Uh, (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, don't ever say that again. But they do get a little loud in the mornings. One of the worst is the blue jay. Man, they're loud. And if they get going near your bedroom window in the spring, oh, you want to get out there and take care of them, but uh, <laughs> we've had a robin nest outside our bedroom window for the. We've been in our house two summers now, and both springs we got this robin nest. And any other time than six o'clock in the morning, yes, it's adorable and such a fun part of the life cycle. Yep. But at six o'clock in the morning, it's really hard to appreciate. Oh my gosh! And they're coming on right now. I'm hearing the robins big time. So the last two weeks of warm weather has them thinking spring yeah we have i've noticed the cardinals are really getting more active right about now too yeah 
we talked about bird seeds. Uh, if you like cardinals, use a little safflower. I just mix that into my black oil sunflower seed because cardinals, and I think some finches uh, really prefer safflower, but a lot of other birds don't. So you're not wasting your feed on birds that you don't want to attract. Okay, so let's start completing this. I call it the habitat triangle. I'm sure I got that from somewhere. But that's what I talk about when I go to schools, and we usually are talking about pollinators. But we've we've got to make the full triangle. So we've talked about food, and that's the fun thing. Mm -hmm. But we also need shelter. Shelter. So uh, we talked about, like, evergreens and having different layers in Mm -hmm. the landscape. Do you do anything... um, like handmade, like do you use birdhouses or anything? I do not, but I watch people who do um, uh, purple martin houses and bluebird houses. You're not going to get bluebirds in town probably. They they want edge habitat with grassland around, but we probably wouldn't have a very good bluebird population without houses, bluebird houses. So thank goodness there are a lot of people doing that. And now I'm starting to see bluebirds on my country walks I didn't used to so much, so I'm really glad people do that. And it's fun to watch those purple mount, purple martins. I don't have the patience, I think, to keep a house clean and all that. But, boy, there are great ideas out there for building shelter. I haven't gotten into it. I'm happy to know that one thing we do know, like if your neighborhood you live in has big trees, that's one of the best things you can do because they're going to find little cavities to build nests and, and get and like orioles. They like to build their nests, I think it's 30, 25 to 30 feet off the ground or so. So if you don't have big trees in your neighborhood, you're not going to have Orioles nearby. Well, there's yet another argument for why we need big trees in our neighborhoods. So you did point out, though, that using birdhouses is not as simple as buying one at the garden center and sticking it in a tree. You've got to take some responsibility for cleaning it and keeping it in good shape yep and beware that the hole size for the bird to enter is really critical if you want certain species because some of them are um what are those species called they go in and rip out the mother eggs and put their own eggs in like the brown-headed cowbird that's kind of a unique uh, bird you know they're actually quite graceful and fun to watch in the backyard but they're a parasite (laughs) on other bird nests and if they didn't have other birds rearing their young that that species wouldn't exist, so just beware of that. I don't know enough about bird boxes to give a lot of good advice, but boy, you search on that online and you'll get all kinds of good stuff. But you are still really creative about how you make habitat. I know you've talked about your Christmas decorations in your yard. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so every fall, or excuse me, right before Christmas, I go out and I harvest red cedar trees that are coming up wild all over. So there's places around Waverly where they just say, Justin, have at it, have as many cedars as you want, and I'll go cut out three or four cedars that are maybe six to eight feet tall. I bring them back to my yard and just place them around the back deck or along the back fence give uh, winter habitat and then I always put one right on my back deck as just a outdoor Christmas tree and now I have a grandson and so we'll string popcorn on that or make uh, pine cone suet feeders we just slather them in bird seed or you could put uh, corn syrup on them and then get the bird seed to stick and yep they're fun to watch one frustration we talked about squirrels those darn squirrels are happy to pull those off of the trees, too. But still, it's a fun activity to do, for sure. 
Yeah, if you don't have a lot of evergreen cover in your yard, but you know where some cedars are, we need to get rid of cedars. So uh, ask people if you can just go cut them, like even here in Lincoln in the Wilderness Park area. I'm sure if you ask the city, can I go harvest some of your cedars, they'll say, yeah, go, go for it. So that's one way that we can kind of improve habitat throughout the winter. Uh, we've talked a little bit about how to provide food over the winter. Are there other specific things that we need to be doing like seasonally to ensure that we're supporting birds? Yeah, that's a really good point. So yeah, the winter is the time you want to be feeding them because it's harder for them to get food in the winter. I'm always just amazed at these birds, like a junco shows up and it's 20 below zero and they don't seem to mind it at all out there and I'm freezing just watching them. So that's kind of cool to know. And then the juncos leave late winter. Uh, they're like, I'm going north. What are these guys thinking about? But <laughs> anyhow, and then so summer comes along. Most of the birds want to shift to eating insects. That's where they get most of their diet. I don't know exactly by species, but there are studies that show in the summer, spring and summer, birds are 80 to 90 percent insects. So there again, the more uh, biodiverse your yard, the more insects you'll have and the better you'll feed the birds. I think that's critical to realize. And then something else to think about. This is hard for people, but a little bit of wildness. You, Everybody wants to garden and tend to it and make it perfect. Some of the best habitat is if you let a little corner go. And even if it has a few weeds in it, I know people don't like uh, some of the worst weeds like ragweed and stuff like that, but ragweed, lamb's quarters, um, other things in those families. Even pigweed are good winter bird foods. So I know that's hard in the backyard, but some of the best habitat is a, just a little bit of wildness that you're not fussing over. Yeah, and you talked about how they shift their diet to mostly insects during the summer. With Bloombox, I get a lot of questions. You know, we promote it as pollinator habitat because that's a catchy topic. But the reality is, if you create a good biodiverse landscape, it's habitat for a lot of things. And so when people come and say, well, I also want to plant for birds, it's real easy for me to say, well, yep, we can plant for birds. Because if you're planting for insects, you're also planting for birds. Exactly. Yep, right on. Biodiversity brings the birds. And one thing they've learned on gardening, if you love to eat vegetables... Your garden is cleaner and less prone to problematic insects if you have biodiversity nearby that is sustaining a lot of insects and the birds are coming. Uh, you'll know your garden vegetables will be cleaner, tastier, less problematic. So think about it that way, too. So we've talked about food. We talked about shelter. How about water? I know you mentioned, especially in the winter, open water is important. How do we how do we do that? That's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah, especially when we get 20 below zero. I have a little heated bird bath. I've used it now for eight or 10 years. It's just a plastic thing that fits over or into like a concrete bird bath. And then you can plug that in and it will turn on and warm up the water when it gets below freezing. So it's not on all the time. And that's been a really good investment for me. Simple to do. And I fill it about every other day, easy to clean out and dump out. Um, water is important. And one thing I saw last year that was a problem for a lot of feeders was there's an eye disease on uh, some of the finches. So just try to get that water, keep it cleaner so they're not sharing that eye disease. 
And then a lot of birders who are really into it want running water. So you could have a, a little backyard stream or some of these self-contained bubblers, uh, and they don't freeze as quickly. So uh, you could probably get down to 15 degrees before that running water would want to freeze. So uh, to each his own. But yeah, have open water in your backyard. It doesn't have to be elaborate to take care of the birds. And then I also think about the places where I more naturally have water occurring in the winter. We have, you know, our front yard, our driveway is pretty sloped. And in some cases, just due to safety, we do use salt out there. But our backyard, our driveway, isn't somewhere we drive or even walk a whole lot in the winter. And it has kind of a natural dip where a lot of our snow melts. And so we kind of consciously don't use salt back there because we don't want it pooling in that water where we know the birds are going to be flocking. Yeah, great idea. I love what you're thinking there. Yeah, you could just think about that. Use your yard for little wet spots. uh, And it won't just be birds that you're going to be sustaining, but many um, butterfly species need Uh, wet spots too of course not in the winter but uh, so you could repurpose it all year long for a little wet spot that's another good point uh water in the summer it's hard to keep water open in the winter but when we're hitting upper 90s it can be hard to keep open water in the summer too so is that really just you know keep making sure you fill your bird baths or are there other ideas that's all i do i have two bird baths and um, i just probably every other day the water's either gone or I'm changing it out. Even in the winter, because these bird baths warm up a little bit, I get uh, gunky moss and stuff on them a little bit. I have to clean them out. and uh, I have a little brush that I use, so that's maybe once a week I'll brush them down. And But yeah, keep them clean. Water is critical. I've been known to keep my sprinkler going a little longer than I probably should because the birds are enjoying it so much. Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> right. I don't do a lot of that, but you're absolutely right. Like jays and robins uh, really love to come around your sprinkler. And I just did this late fall, so I haven't gotten to witness if it works, but I took a terracotta. Um, it was like a tray that was supposed to go under a giant pot, and I buried it kind of ground level in my pollinator garden and I put some river rock in it so the idea being if I ever go water or it rains that water will collect there and the rocks are for the pollinators but it's also open as well for birds I like that idea so the terracotta it keeps it moist it's not draining out the bottom not as quickly as it would soil but terracotta is permeable so it won't be like my hope is that It'll drain fast enough to not get scummy. Yes. But hold water long enough for something to benefit from it. I like that idea. Yep, right on. And then then in the summer, like, you could just have rocks with depressions in them. So maybe you build a little uh, dry stream with some bigger rocks that have depressions in them so that when a storm comes by, fills it with a little water. That is really good bird habitat, and uh, you don't have to be filling it all the time. And Yeah. So if someone can only plant let's set the number at five five things to support birds what would be your top five bird supporting plants yeah okay I plant love shrub tree anything all right top five well let's pick, i would pick out some uh, native prairie plants first probably for me purple coneflower i just see the finches on that in the fall and the winter so but it could be other things in the aster family I'd, so i'd probably plant a purple coneflower and maybe a rudbeckia or two. Um, and then in terms of shrubbery, I'd probably have 
a type of coral berry or a snow berry in my yard, and you can just have a nice part shade corner for that up under a tree or something because they're shade tolerant. And then maybe a larger shrub, I'd go with a black haw viburnum. They are really reliable in fruit set. They're regionally native, and they hold their berries well into the winter. And then I'd plant a, a tree of some type, not necessarily uh, food, but just for perching and, and birds like to feed and then escape back up into a tree. A good multi-purpose tree for that would be a hackberry. People don't like hackberries generally because they can be a little weedy, but man, are they good bird trees, and they produce a berry that the bird will eat, so um, that's where I'd start. A couple native prairie plants, a viburnum, and then a hackberry tree. I just learned the other day that you can eat hackberries, and there's some different recipes you can make out of them, but then the people I was talking to were like, well, how are we ever going to get hackberries? Because the birds love them so much. Yeah. So that was a good vote of confidence for hackberry. Yeah, that's interesting. I was just noticing a hackberry tree the other day. Where was, Oh, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it was really loaded in berries late winter. And I thought, aren't the birds eating this? So I see that every so often, That and maybe birds just haven't found it or not quite ripe yet. I don't know. You can make your own pemmican and blend it into a suet feed, too, for birds if you use hackberry seed, if you wanted to work at it that hard. I'm too lazy. I don't want to work that hard. But So what have been some of your highlights of your backyard birding? Have you been able to attract something that yeah. really excited you? Yeah. The one that I always notice that I'm always excited to see come back every year is the brown creeper. It likes my ash tree, and it creeps up the side of the tree to get to my suet feeder. And oftentimes, it's uh, creeping one direction, while a black, uh, white-breasted nuthatch is creeping the other. And they'll pass each other on the side of the trunk, and I'm just thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. One's, one's going down, and one's going up. And then they arrive at the uh, suet feeder together. I was excited last year to finally see a red-headed woodpecker in my yard. I don't ever see those for some reason, but other spots of Lincoln, I see them pretty regularly, so I don't know what the difference is. And then maybe a couple years ago, I started seeing orchard orioles come in with the Baltimore orioles, and I think they're eating the same thing, jelly. So that's just in my backyard. And our backyards, we don't see quite the diversity we see over in the woodlands like I don't ever see scarlet tanagers or Carolina wren or anything like that. But Have you ever seen something like that you would brag about in the bird community, like a super rare species? Yeah, for my feeder, the, the rarest one probably is that brown creeper. And those birders, boy, they love to brag. I'm not quite in the circle yet of the good birders, so I'm not allowed in yet. But it's fun to listen to them with their life list. I was keeping a life list for a long time, and then I lost it, so I don't know uh, where it's at. I think I could recreate it, and I was up to about 40 or 50 species that have visited the backyard. It's amazing what's out there. I think I read there's been documented over 500 species visit Nebraska. Yeah, we have a rich diversity of birds out there that uh, we don't even think about, and I'm sure I haven't seen some of the rare ones that have come to my feeder there are five species of woodpecker. I love to watch the woodpeckers. So the downy woodpecker, the hairy woodpecker, red-bellied woodpecker, the red-headed woodpecker, and then finally the flicker. And I get all of those on my one suet feeder, so pretty neat. 
Well, thank you, Justin, for enlightening us on everything birds. Oh, wow. I think we're going to have quite a few things linked up in the show notes, probably some plant lists and some information about habitat. So you can check out the show notes for um, more reading to do. All right. So it's time for that question we ask at the end of every episode. Sarah, what plant is on your mind this week? For me, it is snow flurry aster. This is one of my favorite plants ever. I only discovered it like three or four years ago. It's a cultivar of our native heath aster, which is, it's now Symphiotrichum. It's no longer the genus aster. Ericoides is the species of heath aster. And then snow flurry is the cultivar name. And it's a ground cover, which is just super weird to have a ground cover aster. Right. But it's just full, full, full of flowers. And the pollinators love it. And now I know that also maybe the birds love it too. Yeah, right on. Asters for bird seed for sure. How about you, Justin? What's on your mind this week? Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know how to pin it down to one plant, but maybe as I think about spring coming up, I'll think about things in the cherry family because they're some of the earliest to bloom. So maybe um, a plum or a black cherry or uh, maybe even our native sand cherry. And Hannah, what's on your mind this week? Well, since we're talking about birds, one of the plantings I did last fall, I did around my bird feeders to hopefully support more birds. And also it was kind of an open spot. So I wanted to give a little more cover for birds. So I'm thinking about, uh, and I am going to break the rules. I'm going to say two plants. I'm thinking about the goldenrod and the big blue stem that I planted around those. Because I'm really excited to see how they look and, and how it helps my bird feeders this year. Yeah, I think grasses are good bird plants, too. Even though they're not eating them, it's good cover. As always, you can find us at plantnebraska.org. And if you would like to send us a question, comment, concern, photos of your garden, we love photos of people's gardens, our email is growingwithbloombox at gmail.com. Or if you go to plantnebraska.org, you can leave us a voicemail on our SpeakPipe link. Thank you for listening. Bloombox Growing Deeper and Bloombox are programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum.